Hello, folks. This week, we turn to Martin Heidegger's engagement with the question concerning technology. This is an important moment in the later Heidegger. Between 1949 and 1953, Heidegger gave a series of public lectures in Bremen with audiences composed of elite businessmen and industry leaders. There, Heidegger voiced his growing concern about modern business practices, expanding industrialization, as well as a disposable culture. These lectures eventually became the essay, The Question Concerning Technology, or contributed to it. This week, I want to explore Heidegger's main points in that essay. It is worth noting that while the essay is relatively short, it can in parts be obscure. The odd thing is, because it was for a more general audience, Heidegger returns to first principles, and a lot of the lecture devotes itself to re-articulating the most basic questions of philosophy, such as causes, essences, matter, and of course Heidegger's long-standing preoccupation to unveil the meaning of being. This return to first principles does not make things easier, though. If anything, it makes things more difficult. More difficult, say, than Heidegger just telling us what he thinks about technology. But for his part, we can't really know what technology is and how it relates to the question of being unless we get back to basics. Basics such as talking about causes, essences, matter, truth, creation and being. The lecture, in its essay form, also devotes a lot of time to etymological exposition so as to unpack how our understanding of technology has changed throughout history. Heidegger's primary argument is that modern technology, not technology per se, has done two things. Firstly, it obscures or makes us forget the question of being. Secondly, modern technology also induces in humans a metaphysical transformation. This is to say, it changes what we are. Part 1. The Question Concerning Causes It is important, I think, to say first, Heidegger is not necessarily anti-technological, although he perhaps sounds it quite often. Heidegger does not really, I think, have a problem with technology in and of itself. We all use technology in different ways. In Being in Time, Heidegger showed us how easy it is to be naturally absorbed with the tools we use, like the hammer in the workshop. What Heidegger does have a problem with is the disposition which technology can engender in us. Human beings have this annoying habit of thinking of their creations as if they were all of reality itself. The trouble with modern technology, then, is that it deepens, intensifies and accelerates this totalising disposition. And I think this is quite the startling insight in the essay question concerning technology. Modern technology makes us think in certain ways. The problem being that it makes us think in very narrow ways. Ways which are unable to appreciate or reflect on the question of being. And this leads us to, for Heidegger at least, an inherently nihilistic possibility, which I will mention later. Our technology then our modern technology, becomes so committed to efficiency and convenience that we don't have to struggle anymore. We don't have to think anymore. And life is no longer something that is at stake. You could imagine, indeed, as some transhumanist thinkers have, that the purpose of life is to become machine or inhuman, and hence nihilism for Heidegger. But therein is a trap 
if technology is a problem and the problem is efficiency, this makes us think that we can f- fix the problem with the problem itself. And that's Heidegger's point. For Heidegger, we need to think about things in an entirely different way. You can't cure the ailments of modern technology with modern technology or the mindset that is generated from modern technology. And we cannot be satisfied with solutions like let's make technology better. The more we try to make it better, the more we try to master it, the more we try we turn to mastery, the more things slip out of control. In Heidegger's own words, and I quote him here, the will to mastery becomes more urgent the more technology threatens to slip from human control. But taking things back a little, how does Heidegger proceed in question concerning technology? Well, there are a couple of themes he focuses on. And one of the most important things we need to grasp is that technology is not reducible to instrumentality, or is not necessarily reducible to instrumentality. Tools are obviously instruments. It would be stupid to say otherwise. A spoon works great for eating porridge, but it is not just that. Heidegger wants us to think in a deeper way about technology. Technology for Heidegger is a way of thinking, a way of understanding how the world is. Technology is a type of thinking or even intelligence, or perhaps aptitude for Heidegger, or forms of mastery. This should not be a surprise if we recall being in time's exposition of Dasein's ready-to-handedness. So, technology is part of our existential nature. We are tool beings. It is part of what we are. And because we are technological beings, that means that our essence is technological. We are the beings that make stuff, that build, that use tools to expand the scope of our horizons, as well as do all kinds of other things, such as elongate the span of our lives. Our tool use is invariably linked to the question of life and death. But that essence has a dual quality. Our tool being is the thing that helps us navigate the world, overcome impediments, transcend obstacles and overcome even the limitations of our knowledge. But equally, the drive to expansion has inherent destructive possibilities. Thus, our tool being for Heidegger, our essence is inherently contested, revisable, neither good nor bad in and of itself. When we think of technology only in efficient terms, then we lose sight of that essence. And here we get to a rather, I suppose, banal point, really, something that is often said in an average everyday life, where we say technology, something like technology is a double-edged sword. The essence of technology is neither good nor bad, but rather we assume its value is dependent on how it is put to use. Dasein's tool being then reveals how Dasein is structurally incomplete. Our tools indicate how we can be other than how we are, as well as what we are. The problem being, with modern technology, we start to think of technology only in terms of efficiency. And if we think of technology only in terms of efficiency, therefore we only think of it in very narrow ways for Heidegger. One of the more puzzling claims Heidegger makes Later in the essay is that, and I quote him here, the essence of technology is nothing technological. The essence of technology is nothing technological. This would seem, on face value, to imply that technological is different to technology. I don't think this is necessarily the case, or what Heidegger is entirely driving at. 
the technological has its root in technology and humans' essential tool being disposes us to technological development, but also denotes that we are not reducible to technological development. A technological din has within it the capacities to outstrip humans' tool being. So when Heidegger says the technological, he is talking about how modern technology transforms our essential nature, as well as our essential understanding of technology itself. But where does this transformation start? Where can we go to question our own origin? Well, for Heidegger, the answer is in the things and tools themselves. If we think of our average everyday understanding of tool, what do we say? We think of them basically as instruments. And this is effectively what Heidegger says. The technological is instrumental. That is, it is a means to an end. Or he also says it is anthropological. That is, it is a human activity. Or it's both. Neither of the technological or the instrumental are mutually exclusive as human activities can, can be means to an end. Say, for example, the activity of using a brush to sweep a room every morning towards the end of having a clean room, say. We hence think of technology in an instrumental way. However, if the essence of technology is nothing technological, it does rather beg the question, what is the essence, the essence of technology? As Heidegger proceeds in Question Concerning Technology, he starts to explain just exactly what this essence presupposes. And this is where things get a little bit complex. He returns to first principles and asks what the meaning is of essence. And if we are to understand the essence of technology, then we are obliged to ask what or how the essence of technology is caused. That is, how does it come to be? And this is where things really start to get interesting. Heidegger is asking what causes us to think of technology in an instrumental way or only in an instrumental way or even as a human activity when we carry out practices such as, I don't know, accomplishing objectives or finding means to ends. For Heidegger, at the very heart of those questions is the question of causality. Because when we try to accomplish an objective or finding the tools to arrive at a goal, we are basically just talking about causing things to happen. But again, the question remains, and, and questionability is a, a key to unlocking technology for Heidegger. The name of the essay is The Question Concerning Technology. Why do we conjoin causality and instrumentality? Why is that the only way to think about either causality or technology? To say one thing has a connection or an effect on something else is to make a strong claim about how things work. And this, I think, is Heidegger's fear we are becoming dominated by the instrumentalist paradigm. As in, we think all things are caused in an instrumental way, or cause and effect in other words. But this is not how we have always thought about causality. Over some very dense pages, Heidegger does some deep and incredibly careful etymological analysis, studying the roots of the word cause in order to Firstly, expand our understanding of causality beyond merely the instrumental account. Secondly, to retrieve a full understanding of Aristotelian causality. 
on what is known as the four causes. And thirdly, to give us a sense of what essence is, or what is sometimes called the essential cause. All too briefly, Aristotelian causality supposes that for any being or thing or entity to exist, it must be caused in four ways at once. Materially, formally, finally and efficiently. The material cause, the matter, is the stuff. The formal cause is the activity of shaping the stuff, sometimes called essential cause or that which must be there. The efficient cause is the direct effecting, say the chisel on the wood of a carving, or cause and effect really. And the final cause is the purpose towards which things move. Remember, the efficient instrumental cause implies a cause which brings about an end. The end, in Aristotle, holds causal status. The efficient cause is how we think of causality today, that is, instrumentally. And this is Heidegger's basic point. We have subsumed causality to think of things in terms of cause and effect only, and have forgotten the broader categories of causality, which all have to do with the question of being. We should be careful. He's not saying efficient causes do not matter. Indeed they do. Only that efficient causes are a necessary, but not sufficient condition of any being being caused, or any one thing coming into being. The four causes are necessary and sufficient for the existence of anything. Once we know what the essential cause is, only did we will be able to get a sense of what the essence of technology truly is. He do, he uses an example to help us along the way. And in the essay, A Question Concerning Technology, the example he gives us is of the making of a silver chalice, a silver chalice for a communion rite. Firstly, Heidegger outlines how we could think of the silver chalice in terms of Aristotle's four causes. And secondly, he looks at how the shift from the Latin understanding of causality transforms our understanding, I guess, away from the ancient understanding. This involves Heidegger talking some Latin. He studies the etymology of the term, the Latin term causa, which he suggests stems from the meaning of to fall, which invokes, and the best way I think I can express this in English, is when we say things fell this way or things fell that way. Or in sports, say, we might say, the ball fell kindly for her. The point is that fall implies a result of a prior influence. Heidegger suggests that this Latin derivation of causality significantly differs from the ancient Greek term, aiton, which has a broader, more ontological, even ethical register. Aiton, according to Heidegger, implies a form of responsibility or obligations or commitments. As he puts it, and I quote him here, the four causes are the ways, all belonging at once to each other, of being responsible for something else. But his example then of the silver chalice, the material cause, or hule in ancient Greek, is indebted to the efficient cause, say the agent or silversmith who affects the production of the metal, which is at the same time indebted to the possible form the chalice can take which in turn is indebted to the final cause or the goal 
for example, say, the context of use of the silver chalice in the communion rite. The silversmith as craftsperson illuminates something essential about how things come to be, or how they are caused. The silversmith gathers all causes together, or all forms of indebtedness, if you like, to bring forth, to reveal, a poesis in the ancient Greek, the chalice. Hence, the question of technology is also a question of art. Here, art or artifice are not so far apart as they pertain to the question of being coming into view, as well as the notion of creation. Perhaps the better word would be artistry, as that captures the sense of art and craft which Heidegger suggests we have lost. But more specifically, what Heidegger is saying is, with this example of the silver chalice, is about the nature of mastery. Mastery implies a degree of force. And with force, we get domination. I think what Heidegger admires with the maker of the chalice is a sense that a wider world or context of involvement is inherent to the object itself. As opposed to dominating the silver, the silversmith takes this material object called chalice and sees it as existing in a world or a context, say a a communion rite. All the different causes are indebted to each other or in another way they give themselves to each other and are thus bound up with being. Indebtedness is a type of giving, or a type of being obliged, or as Heidegger has it, es gibt, uh, so literally, it, it, it gives. When Heidegger thinks of causality as responsibility in such a counterintuitive way, it is with an express purpose. He is returning to the fundamental problems of philosophy, problems which we have neglected, and he thinks the neglecting of those very problems will precipitate technological crises with some very deleterious symptoms such as atomization, loneliness uh, and the alienation which dog modern life. But coming back to technology of which our chalice is surely a type of what all this discourse on causality has showed us is that a tool is not purely a means. Part 2 Technology is a way of revealing. Heidegger has shown us that to think of the cause of an essence, we need to think in a much more expansive sense than instrumentally. By extension, to think of the essence of technology, we need to think in a similarly expanded way. This is basically Heidegger's way of saying, or thinking about, of, well, thinking outside the box. We need, he claims, boldly to link technology to the question of art and truth. Why? Because as mentioned for Heidegger, technology is a type of thinking, and thinking concerns how being comes to be, how they show themselves, in themselves, and that is as revealing. In his own words, and I quote him here, technology is a way of revealing. If we give heed to this, then another whole realm for the essence of technology will open itself up to us. It is the realm of revealing, of truth. Similarly, and I quote him again, he says, Technology is a mode of revealing. Technology comes to presence in the realm where revealing and unconcealment take place, where aletheia, truth, happens. Things are starting to get a little bit strange. But let's go with him and see where he takes us. His examination of cause to this point has brought him to this discussion of poesis, bringing forth the 
or a revealing of something concealed. Technology itself is a type of appearing, a way of bringing forth or revealing, and thus is inseparable from truth. So, this seemingly enigmatic linking of technology, truth, and poetry, the poetic, is the essence of technology. Seeing as our understanding of technology has been dominated by an instrumentalist metaphysics, then the way technology discloses or reveals itself to us is, well, instrumentally. But Heidegger thinks that the term technology has a deeper origin. If we look at the term itself, we can see the word technology derives from the Greek word technikon, which gives us the word techne, which we hear in English words like technology itself or technique. The thing is, for Heidegger, techne is a form of poesis. We normally think of techne as connected to skills or to the skills of, of craft. But for Heidegger, we have lost the original meaning, which saw it as part of poetry and the fine arts. This, this split has become ever more profound as the centuries have regressed until the point in the mid-20th century where it is no longer possible to think of how art and craft are the same thing. More obviously today, we have a separation between science and the arts, or between STEM, or science, technology, engineering and mathematics, and the humanities, which for Heidegger is a very lamentable situation. Techne then has become a kind of knowing or mastery. This is linked to the term episteme. The mastery of episteme implies a subject-specific skill, say where one is at ease with an activity or one feels at home in the activity, or perhaps expertise or or know-how would be a good way of putting it. What Heidegger is very much driving at is that once we see the essence of techne is also a type of revealing, this means that the essence of technology is not limited to instrumentality, or by extension, the instrumental production of goods, services, and as we will see later, the domination of nature in the material world. In Heidegger's own terms, what is decisive in techne does not at all lie in making and manipulating, nor in the using of means, but rather in the revealing mentioned before. It is as revealing and not as manufacturing that techne is a bringing forth. Heidegger here addresses an obvious question. You might say that it is all well and good talking about the techniques of ancient craftsmen, but this is not much use when we are talking about the mass-produced chalices of modern machine-powered technology. We are now at the point where Heidegger begins to ask, what is it that is distinctive about modern technology, or the technological? What type of revealing is attached to our modern technological contrivances? If what Heidegger has been arguing is right, then the form of revealing of modern technology is one that is destitute as it reveals things only in an instrumental way. The difference between modern technology and technology per se, for Heidegger, we might suspect has to do with modern physics, which generates technologies of precision and exactitude, but this does not really get at what is happening. Heidegger is not objecting to the study of physics, but he thinks physics too has its roots in instrumental technology rather than the other way around. Modern experimental physics depends very much on technical apparatuses for testing, measuring and repeating the results of experiments. So physics itself is a technological thinking or a type of technological revealing which makes nature, or phusis, as the ancient Greeks called it, 
disclosable in a very narrow and studied way. The dominant form of revealing, attributable to modern technology, is what Heidegger calls a form of challenging. Now, this term challenging is interesting. For Heidegger, it imposes an unreasonable demand, as he says, on nature, that nature supply an infinite amount of energy, or an unreasonable expectation, perhaps. And this is the key, and where we can see question considering technology dovetail with the theme of finitude of being and time. Nature, or fusus, is finite and shall come to an end, but the technological expects nature to supply an infinite amount of energy which can be extracted, stored, redeployed and circulated. Heidegger is aware that we might say the same about an old-fashioned windmill, but he thinks this is not a good comparison because the windmill works with the wind, it does not control the wind. Also, the windmill simply does not unlock energy from the air currents to store it. At a push, one could say there is an ecological argument, and that is probably fair, but we have to bear in mind that the solution to ecological problems cannot be technological solutions, but rather metaphysical ones. That is, if we don't address the question of being and the question of nature, the question of creation, or a full sense of causality, then we cannot see how we participate in nature. Even to pose it in this term of participating in is insufficient, as it implies, well, an individual participating in a separate nature over there, thereby replicating the subject-object distinction which Heidegger was concerned about in being in time. Rather, the point is simpler. If we don't see how ourselves and our tools are nature, then we miss the point completely and are in technological danger, are in the danger of nihilism. Part 3. Networked Thinking The mode of revealing modern technology imposes on us is one that forgets or has a defective form of poesis. Heidegger's idea is that modern technology is not poesis bringing forth. Rather, it is a challenging forth. Challenging forth has a much more aggressive connotation. It implies modes of revealing tight to domination, summoning, in turn promoting control, order and efficiency. A hydroelectric dam on the Rhine is the example Heidegger gives of challenging forth. Here, the efficient causality is geared towards order, control and, well, efficiency. The more efficiency we pursue, the more we try to attain. The dam on the Rhine diminishes the other regions of causality. Even in human terms, we are confronted with a creation low on poesis, since with poesis the other causes are involved in the process of production. Whereas with the hydroelectric dam, it is purely for human ends. When we place the hydroelectric dam on the river, the meaning of the river itself is irrevocably changed. Remember, the Rhine looms large as a symbol in German culture, as it did for Heidegger and his love of the work of poet Friedrich Hölderlin. 
rather than a source of cultural imagination and sensitivity then and philosophical significance with the hydroelectric dam, the Rhine becomes pure instrumentality, there only as energy source. Here we make nature into something revealable only as challenging forth. As Heidegger puts it himself, and I, I quote him here, he says, Such challenging happens in that the energy concealed in nature is unlocked. What is unlocked is transformed, what is transformed is stored up, what is stored up is in turn distributed, and what is distributed is switched about ever anew. Unlocking, transforming, storing, distributing, and switching about are ways of revealing, but the revealing never simply comes to an end. Neither does it run off into the indeterminate. The revealing reveals to itself its own manifoldly interlocking paths, true regulating their course. This regulating itself is, for its part, everywhere secured. Regulating and securing even become the chief characteristics of the revealing that challenges. The transformation then of the natural world into an object of utility completes this separation of humans and world that we started with the subject-object distinction. Here, the world is unifunctional, only good because it can be manipulated. Here, there can be no question of phenomenology or ontology, as the there is not their being. There is no being in the world as such. Modern technology inaugurates a metaphysical transformation of what we are. What we are after technological mediation is beings geared towards generating ever more efficiencies profit and productivity. Our thinking is only calculative and extractive. I don't think it's even the case Heidegger is saying that the Rhine Dam is bad for nature, but at that point in our history, in the early 1950s, Heidegger is saying that the type of thinking that challenging Fort unleashes has very destructive potential. Clearly, modern technology generates immediate benefits, but the benefits are inseparable from the defective view of nature which also emerges for Heidegger. If all thinking falls before the altar of efficiency making, what does this make us think about other human beings? Here Heidegger is ever more concerned. The expansion of instrumental thinking turns the world into what Heidegger calls standing reserve. Standing reserve denotes the way modern technology turns the world of nature into one more item of inventory. In this situation, humanity itself is turning, or has turned into a standing reserve. Just one more item of mechanised production there to be stored and used when necessary. There is something quite chilling about this. Modern technology has transformed our relation to the end of the world. I mean that in both a teleological sense and the apocalyptic sense. As humans, the ends of the world are no longer in sight. As such, there is no way to the world as we think the world is there, infinitely ready to be tapped into, manipulated and redeployed. Now, the problem is, when we think of humans in this way, as if there are something that is infinitely dared, stored, held in reserve, that means we also think of humans as inherently disposable, not different to any other object of the production process. 
Heidegger suggests the term human resources tells us as much. Standing reserve makes the world apparent within very fixed and predetermined parameters. We only see things as means to an ends or or only or that which is good is only as good for something. Things are valuable only insofar as they are disposable in both senses of that term. The word disposable, I mean, as disposable as in amenable and disposable as in dispensable. Here we get a perverse, apocalyptic version of the ready-to-hand. Heidegger gives the example of the forester who is commanded by the timber industry to produce commercial wood, which in turn is commanded by the print industry to make paper for newspapers and magazines, which in turn creates the idle chatter of the opinion industry which in turn is there to be made profitable. Here the human is recycled and reworked on a par with raw materials such as wood, coal and petroleum. Hence our relation to technology is part of a network of extraction. This is what Heidegger calls inframing, gestell. Inframing is an attitude or a type of technological thinking. The way I think of it is as network thinking, although that's not a term Heidegger uses, where we can only think of things as separated and insular nodes of a wider network. Where nature reveals itself as it is, inframing discloses itself through technological expansion. Inframing turns our thinking into a, an apocalyptic doppelganger of nature itself. Inframing while it appears as all, it presents itself as all, as totalising, as all-consuming even, in fact is a way of restricting and constraining our relation to nature, where we take the term nature in the broadest possible sense of all things coming into and out of existence, uh, phusis. And in framing by enclosing all our experiences within the horizon of instrumentality and efficiency presents us with a danger. Here is the danger for Heidegger. Inframing creates humans that are more and more objectified. It creates the danger that could treat humans as mere instruments. Consequently, the more we bow down to the gods of efficiency, the more we allow Dasein to be understood in a calculative and quantitative terms, where humans become more and more interchangeable, mechanised and diminished in their Dasein. If you like, we're becoming less real. Technology dictates what we are without us even realising it and therefore is changing our humanity. This is a key point for Heidegger. That technology is changing how the world appears to us, which leads us to a change in what we are as human beings. A further consequence of this is a greater cultural homogeneity. That is, things are becoming more and more the same. There is a levelling effect and hollowing of meaning, distinction and things that matter. Modern technology gives us the illusion of connection with others when in fact it leads to our separation from others and the world around us. Everyone is connected, but connected in isolation. Think of how intimate sounding podcasts are and in fact the reality is an increased distance between people. Conclusion by way of conclusion, then, we might think Heidegger's reflection on technology are overly pessimistic. 
his discussion of causality, our overemphasis of instrumental causality as he sees it, the emergence of static reserve and, and framing, all the view of technology as inherently bad. This is not Heidegger's objective in question concerning technology, I think. Technology is neither good nor bad, but how we think about it is. Heidegger even cautions us against the seductive idea that all technology is bad. This is a type of instrumental thinking too, since it conceives of technology as serving the means of evil. And technology is really neither divine nor demonic. It is not wise for Heidegger to adopt such a fatalistic view of technology. As he suggests himself, we can neither admit defeat and submit to the stultified compulsion of the technological, nor can we, as Heidegger says, and I quote, rebel helplessly against it and curse it as the work of the devil. Instead, we need to establish a free relationship with technology. This free relationship gets to the heart of how Heidegger thinks about technology. As we mentioned at the outset, the essence of technology is that it reveals an undetermined causality. Or that is to say, causality for Heidegger is not just instrumental. And we saw that with the four causes, or his adoption of Aristotle's four causes. Basically, things can always be otherwise. And because we have become beholden to the instrumental paradigm of causality does not necessarily mean we are condemned to repeat patterns of thinking which the technological accelerates. We need to renew and rework our relationship with technology in a thinking way. This is a historical necessity for Heidegger. Our historical fate depends on recognizing that within the technological is itself the question of being. The question of revealing still resides. Even if the technological appears in an instrumental way, we can still see that irrespective of the technological innovations that we develop, our technological inventions, what is common to all of them is that they are forms of the revealing of being. So inherent to the technological is the ontological. Quoting Holderlin, Heidegger says, where the danger grow, the saving power is also. Where the human drives to obtain the quantifiable, the efficient, and to dominate nature, to stop by reserves, then we can be sure that our destructive capacities will accelerate and expand as we come to think of the world as nothing more than raw materials there for our enjoyment, infinitely so. But if we reframe our relation to technology, then we could think of life structured in different ways. Basically, humanity is faced with a choice about its collective fate. And it is a collective question, not an individual one. We can't save the world in an individual, case-by-case way. Heidegger thinks that the essence of freedom is not about will or even the causal power of willing, as in I self-determine myself. That too is a type of technological thinking as I take myself to be a machine that is determinable. Humanity can either accelerate in framing or we could come to realise that we are and our tools are also nature. And here Heidegger gives us some sage warning about the dangers of separating nature and culture. Artifice and organism, subject and object. Once we realise that we are nature, we can engage in and transform 
our commitments in a way that is, say, creative, self-sustaining, rather than destructive, efficient, and inevitable. That last one is hard. The trouble is that technological thinking appears as inevitable. Take the internet. We feel like we just can't go back now. Only by reorientating how we think, only when we think of ourselves as historical beings who participate in a finite world, who share a nature that is finite but renewable, only then can we establish an appropriate relationship between technology, ourselves and the world. These reflections of technology had their genesis in Heidegger's lectures in the late 40s to the mid-50s. By the mid-60s, Heidegger was telling us, only a god can still save us. In other words, we're screwed. <laughs>